welcome to Bethel. You guys can have a seat. It's fall and so fun and pumpkins. I love pumpkins. And uh, you can get them at Aldi for $2.49. Okay, I'm helping you out, you guys. It's the cheapest I found them. I am not paying $10 for a pumpkin. Okay, so Aldi, they did have a limit of three, and so I've been three times. They may have lifted the limit. So if you need pumpkins for the fall season, that's your place to go. If you are visiting with us this morning, we're so glad that you're here. Um, we would love to connect with you, whether it's online or in person. Um, we, you can go to mybethel.cc connect. And there's a form to fill out there, and we would just love to reach out to you this week and see how we can serve you better. Today, we're continuing in our series called Kill the Spider. <clears throat> um, and the idea behind Kill the Spider is to not just keep clearing cobwebs, but to get to the problem that's making the cobwebs. And today, we're going to be talking about man, how hard it is and how slow the change is. I don't know if you guys have ever had a goal, whether it was to lose weight or to get in shape or to learn an instrument or to run a marathon, whatever you like have this goal, learn to sew, you know, like you want to do it today. It's like, oh, I want to learn to play the guitar today. But it's a process, right? And it's slow and you have to keep practicing and you're bad sometimes and you get discouraged, but you get back on. And then eventually you're good enough and you're like, hey, I can play um, my for God is so good. You know, like you learn to actually play a song. Well, <clears throat> that's kind of how it is with any change. And today we're going to be, we're talking about shame and the spider of shame in our life. And it's slow, the change can be slow, and in that, you could get discouraged and say, it's not worth it. I'm not good at I can't do it. I, it's not worth it. But it is worth it. And today, we're going to be looking at that. And even though it's slow, how we have to keep on um, for to get to the end goal of, of, of uh, getting rid of the spider, right? And so the idea is slow is change. So let's get started on Kill the Spider. everybody this weekend uh our weather is getting cooler which is awesome I get to experience that yesterday was beautiful i don't know what the deal was yesterday but it was beautiful probably one of our three beautiful days a year we get uh, so hopefully you enjoyed that and had a good time i want to as we're as we're jumping into today there's a there's a passage that's been kind of a reoccurring theme over the last week in my life i want to share it with you and i want to read it uh from the message uh translation or the message interpretation however you want to say that of scripture and I think the way that uh, Eugene Peterson kind of captured the idea of this 
portion of scripture will really help us today set the stage for what we're going to talk about, which is actually walking kind of this slow change towards freedom, uh, this slow walk towards freedom. I think our spiders are interesting, specifically this one of shame. It's really hard to identify. It's hard to, to actually explain what it is. And if you get a gun, you shoot it or you step on it, it'll either get away from you or it'll reproduce. It'll kind of remake itself. And so it's a hard one to actually walk through. Um, but this, this scripture is going to really help us set the stage. Uh, it's something that, that God's been putting on my heart this last week. It says right here, verse 4 of Galatians 6, 4 and 5, it says, Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given. So this first part is the you are, you have this process of work, and it's who you are. You've been given this to your life, and you're supposed to do some careful exploration of who it is. It says, and then sink yourself into that. I like that picture of just sinking yourself into who you are and the work you've been given. Then it says, don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. And so if you think about this, you all have gifts, talents, abilities, and what God is asking us to do is to discover what they are, find the purpose of them, sink into them, and then do our best to creatively live that out as we're walking through our life. I think our, many of us in our faith journey, we start our faith journey kind of in the negative realization that we have flaws. And so the reason that a lot of us come to a Savior or come to Jesus is because we're imperfect and we're flawed individuals. We're actually like good-for-nothing people just simply there to be saved or to be rescued. While Scripture does say that we need a Savior, Scripture actually starts somewhere else. Scripture starts with God creating everything and everyone and calling it good. He starts with the good. He starts with a creation of good. It tells us when we see the beginning of Scripture, it talks about creating this, this man and this woman and placing them in this perfect garden. And these two individuals were very, very talented. These two individuals were intelligent. These two individuals were powerful. And Scripture says they were good. The flaws that we find in ourselves and humanity, that came later. But first, Scripture tells us that we are good. And so while we're working through the killing the spider of shame, today I want to take us on a little different perspective, and I want us to look at why we're fighting to change, why we're trying to work through change. And it's really this idea that the original creation was an original blessing, where God gave us a blessing to go forth, be fruitful, multiply, and do good, find our purpose, and sink into that purpose. So instead of hiding from our spiders, we're actually going to go out and we're going to attack them and kill them because God has created us for a purpose. So we're walking through this freedom from shame and shame being elusive and not being able to define it, but we know it when we feel it. Um, we have a definition, a working definition that, that we have. It's right here on the screen about what spiders are. And spiders are lies that we believe and negative agreements we've made with ourselves and the world around us. So there's, there's lies that we've accepted. And in our engaged groups on Wednesday nights and also on Sunday mornings, we're trying to work through this bit by bit and ask God to reveal, okay, so what are the lies that we agree? What are the agreements that we have made with ourselves about ourselves? And so this thing about shame is really, really intriguing because a lot of us are unaware that that's the driving force behind our decisions, behind our relationships, behind our vocation, is this either hiding 
or embracing this idea of shame. And many of us can't quite define what it is. And so over time, if we wrap our minds around it and ask God to reveal where our source of shame is, we'll actually be able to find it. And a lot of it is based in a simple conversation when we were, when we were younger. Or maybe someone says something today that awakens this feeling of guilt or this feeling feeling that's like of shame that you can't quite understand. And it's tied to this conversation you had when you were a child, like, hey, you're not good at that. You're not good enough. That if, if you're in a, a place where you used to sing, all of us as kids, we, we sang and we would just sing little toddlers and we grow and we sing. And somewhere along the way, someone told us, eh, you probably shouldn't sing. You probably shouldn't. And so today what that does is we tell ourselves, I'm not a very good singer. In crowds, I like it when everybody sings because then I can hide in the crowd and sing. That's what everybody does, right? But there's a few people that have not heard that and then they get on American Idol and make a fool of themselves, right? I mean, that's kind of what we think, no? This idea of shame is that someone told me I'm not good at it and therefore I'll never try it again. What about different activities like, hey, you don't measure up, you don't have what it takes. Do you remember that thing you did? And that thing you did defines who you are. That's what shame does. Shame tells you that you're something that you're not. And it comes down to love. And it comes down to lovability. And it comes down to freedom. You're never going to be good enough. And so as we've been working through this the last few weeks, we, we saw the very first week that the feeling of joy replaces the feeling of shame. Today we're going to talk specifically about the things that bring joy and how this slow process of change needs to take place in all of our lives to produce this joy that is supernatural, that's something that God gives us. Last week we talked about the very thing that brings us pain is the very thing that heals us, and that's us telling our story and being vulnerable. Being vulnerable and actually opening ourselves up to, to pain is what causes us or brings us to a point of freedom. Um, and, and last week, right towards the end of the message, talked about change is more than simple behavior modification. We're not, we're not just trying to change certain things about our lives so that we do things differently. We're actually trying to change the direction of our lives. We're trying to change the course of our lives. And so change has to be intentional. It's slow. There'll be setbacks along the way. Have you ever felt like you're moving like three steps forward and then two steps back, and then you can't really get some traction? You can't go forward? This is this work, and it's long and deep soul work that God is in, in, inviting us into to create change in our lives. I'd like to pray, and then we're going to jump into today's topic, and, and hopefully by the end we'll have a, a direction to begin this process of change. Uh, let's pray. God, this morning as we dig into Scripture, uh, two different stories in Scripture, God, that highlight this idea of original blessing and the call on our lives, not to shame and condemnation, but actually to freedom and joy. And so, God, as we dig in, I pray that your Spirit would be present, that he would speak to our hearts, that he would draw us closer to you. And, God, as we, as we work and we begin this slow process that you've invited us into, I, I pray that you just conform us and, and that we would be people that would share joy. We'd be people that would be encouraging and uplifting. We, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So change, Christy mentioned it. Any change is really, really hard. And change is only achieved over time. If we think we've changed overnight, that's usually more of a mindset but the actual change takes a lot longer, takes a, takes a longer course. Not changing actually brings regret and brings shame. Uh, there's things that we can change and there's things that we cannot change. 
We can change our physical appearance, appearance either through diet and exercise or plastic surgery, or there's a whole bunch of ways we can change our physical appearance. Uh, we can change our minds, and we can go a different direction. We can change our behavior. We can change our actions. But there's certain things we cannot change. Um, I'm on this journey right now trying to change my breathing. Um, I think I might have told you. And uh, I've been doing little things over the last few weeks to try to change the way that I breathe. And it is the most complicated thing ever because I thought that I knew how to breathe. And then when I realized I don't know how to breathe, it's taking a long time to figure out how to not breathe. And I'm doing pretty stupid things, actually taping my mouth shut at night so I don't breathe through my mouth. And those are really silly things. And you're like, Ray, you're going to kill yourself. I know. Someone's going to find my dead body in the bed and say, this man had tape on his mouth. That's how he... And then they're going to look at Christy and it's going to be, why did you let him do that? I mean, it's like, yeah, he has a mind of his own. He's an idiot. It's just the slow process of change. You can eventually get used to anything and you can eventually change course with anything. And this is for good or for bad. This is how all of us walk through life as we adapt and we're very adaptable people. There's things we cannot change though. You know, the, the main thing you cannot change is other people. No matter how hard you try, you cannot change other people. You can't change your spouse. Most of us got married thinking, I'm going to fix this person. And we realized a few months or maybe years into it, that's impossible. Um, it took us about 20 years to figure that out, didn't it? Weather. You can't change the weather. You can't change your parents. You can't change the time and place of your birth. You can't change the past. Uh, some of you are so used to sitting where you sit in church that if you change spots you'd have some major trouble. Um, Christy and I are, have been going to the theater lately and watching shows, and we're trying to find the place where our neck doesn't hurt because I, I don't sit much. Christy does, and she sits on this side, and if she sat on that side, she'd be like, oh, you know? And I don't know if you guys have tried to sit on this side and you guys have tried to sit on that side. You in the middle are perfect because you're just like this, right? But if you try to switch spots, it feels awkward, doesn't it? So next Sunday, I want you all to switch spots and just feel how this is. It's a hard thing because we get used to where we're sitting, we get used to what we're doing. And what the problem is, most of us don't change because there's a few reasons, there's a few things we have to do to change, and most of us aren't willing to do it. The first thing that we need to do is admit that we need to change. Admitting it, acknowledging it, recognizing it. That's the very first thing. I think what we do is we overestimate what we can do in a day and underestimate what we can do in a year. Because we think, I'm going to change today, but if we would begin this course, we would change over the year. Once you get to a certain place, there's this inertia that happens, and it kind of takes over, but you have to admit that you need to change. We also have to ask our why. Why do I want to change? There's got to be this underlying motivation for change. Like, I need to like change the shape of my life, the direction of my life. I need to, to actually realize that I need to change and then act on it, but understand why I'm changing. I have to want to change. If I don't want to, it's never going to happen. If I don't want to do it, I'll eventually burn out. We also need to bring other people into the process of change because I can't do this alone. I need a community behind me to actually work through it. And actually relying on myself alone for change is the easiest way to fail because we're only so good to a certain point. I need a community around me. There's something that I've been thinking about myself about change is that it's really hard to create some like benchmarks along the way to look back and see my progress. It, there's some things that if I knew there was this benchmark ahead or this kind of a guidepost up ahead that I could get to it and then look back and say, oh, I have changed a lot. But most of us don't know how to set that up. Also acknowledging that Jesus gives us freedom to choose and to change. And then being in the right environment. 
Here's the, here's the thing about the church. The church is the best environment for change and is the greatest change agent that you can include in your life or that you can become part of your life as being a part of the church family. Uh, Hebrews 10.24 says this, let us think of ways to motivate one another to love and good works. There's something about being in a community of believers that are heading the same direction that we are that will help us go through change. On a side note, kind of a pause, I know that there is this experience that many people have had that have grown up in the church or been around the church, and it's this idea of church hurt, that we're getting hurt by supposedly good people that mean well, and they end up hurting us. I, I get that. They don't really know, or we don't really think that they're going to wound us, and I don't think people think they're going to wound us, but then people do because people are people. We need to remember that we're in a process of figuring out who we are, and when we're around other flawed people, we're going to hurt each other. And I think what we do is we walk through this thing and we tend to take past experiences and then we project it on future experiences. For example, if a pastor or a church leader hurt you in the past, you assume the next church leader is going to hurt you in the future. Or if a parent hurts you in the past, all parents must hurt their kids. Or possibly you were hurt by a Christian, so all Christians are going to hurt you. And I think we project our experiences from the past to the future. And so what I want us to do is I want us to like pause on that for a minute, and I want us to get into this idea of what I am calling today original blessing. We've all heard of original sin, right? And there's a debate on what the original sin was. A lot of people say it was pride. A lot of people say it was disobedience, whatever. Whatever the original sin is, we all kind of accept the idea that we're flawed. But what about this idea of original blessing, there was this original created blessing that God is inviting us into. So I want to I work through that today. We're going to be in Genesis, and then we're going to be in Luke. Okay, so Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. This is the account of the biblical account of creation. Remember, this is a poetry. This is a story that's being told to the people of Israel. And the, the author is Moses, and Moses lived many years after creation. But he's writing this based on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says right here, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over fish in the sea and birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And all, I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Verse 31. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And so if you look at the first chapter of Genesis, and it's working through all the different aspects of creation, it comes down to this point, which is everything that God created was very good. Not just good, but very good. Now I want us to move to chapter 2. We're going to go to verse 18. It says right here, then the Lord God said, it is not good. So this is the first time he said something is not good. And this is the isolation and loneliness of humanity. And so he says right here, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. 
And the man chose a name for each one. So can you imagine the mental capacity of a human being that was created in God's image with talent and ability to name all the creatures? It says right here, He gave them names to all the livestock, all the birds in the sky, all the wild animals, but there was still no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs, closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. Then he goes on to say, This is why a man, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and joined, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. If you see, there's so many uh, principles and truths packed into this little section here. Almost everything else we see in Scripture from here on out is based in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Almost all of Scripture, you can root back to this place. And this specific one is talking about the creativity of mankind and how God had designed man and woman to work together to rule, to reign, to multiply, and to dominate this earth in creativity in their purpose. And so if you see here that Adam had purpose, but alone it was no good. He needed a helper alongside him, together, united, not in isolation, but in community to actually live out his purpose. And then it says right here at the end, they were both naked, but they felt no shame. There was no shame in this very good place that God had created. The act of creation for purpose and for joy, it brings incredible peace and incredible satisfaction Scripture says later on in Psalm 139 that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're creative. We are builders. And along the way, humanity was broken, but that does not negate the goodness that God had created in the heart and in the spirit of mankind. And our, our job, our desire really is to get back to the original blessing, to get back to the Garden of Eden, to get back to that place of purpose. Change is really slow but it's a process of discovery. It's a process of vulnerability. It's a process of curiosity. And it's a process of returning to that original blessing. So we all have a narrative that runs through our heads. We all have this story that we're telling ourselves that's confirmed, affirmed, or denied by the people around us, by our upbringing, by our friends, by our family, by our coworkers, and many times by our faith community. And many times this affirmation is in the form of negativity not in the form of positivity. Instead of hearing that we're gifted, we hear that we're flawed. Instead of hearing that we've done well, we hear that we could have done better. Instead of hearing that we are good, we hear that we are bad. Now this does not deny the fractures and flaws that we see and inherit because of sin. It's simply recognizing that the negative way and the negative affirmations are way louder than the positive ones. I have a friend that says it takes a thousand attaboys to undo one aw crap. Sorry, Mom, that was from him. I'm just quoting him directly. <laughs> it takes a thousand attaboys to undo one aw crap. Because the aw crap moments, those, those negative moments, are a lot louder than the positive ones because of our sin nature. So Jesus had a way of working with people and walking with people and doing things with people that was so different than those around him. If, if you think about the world in which Jesus was born, he was born under Roman, under the Roman rule, Roman Empire, that they had taken and they had dominated the people of Israel. 
The Israelites also were under oppression and dominated by the religious leaders that had been working on this religion for hundreds and hundreds of years, and they'd figured out exactly how to make the law work. And they figured out exactly how to do exactly what was right in order for the law to be fulfilled in people's lives. And so what they ended up doing is oppressing people. So people were, were politically oppressed, and then they were spiritually oppressed. And Jesus came, and he told a different story. He knew that his whole mission was to seek and to save the lost, and yet, time after time, he didn't tell lost people how lost they were or how bad they were. He simply pointed them to the good that they were created for. He simply pointed them to their purpose, and he pointed them to, to a path of redemption. I, I want to read just one example, because you can read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can read through the whole story of Jesus, and you'll not find one place where he condemned anyone. The people he called out to and the people that he kind of like fought with were the religious leaders that had oppressed the nation. But he never told a sinner how bad they were. He simply called them into a different existence. I want to read one story in Luke 19, the story of the famous Zacchaeus. If you grew up in church, you probably sang songs about this guy. We don't know much about him other than what's said right here, but this is a one example of Jesus calling someone to purpose and it radically changed their lives. Look at that verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. Remember Jericho? It's the same Jericho that the walls came down in the, uh, the book of uh, Joshua. This is the same Jericho that was rebuilt and, and so on. And so this guy lived in Jericho. It says, verse 2, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. If you know anything about New Testament, a tax collector was the worst of the worst. They were Jewish people that had wor that work for the Roman Empire. So they were working for the enemy. And so this guy was the worst of the worst. Says so he ran uh, says um, he tried to get a look at Jesus. He heard he was coming, tried to get a look at him, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road. For Jesus was going to come by that way. He was going to pass by. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. The people. He's gone to, the, to be a guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. What did Jesus say? He responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. If you notice in the short narrative, the short story, Jesus never mentioned his sin or his problems. Zacchaeus lived daily in the constant reminder of who he was. And Jesus didn't come and pile on the shame. The community had already done that for him. The people around him had already affirmed that he was a wicked man. But here notice that Zacchaeus actually was really good at what thing? Generosity. He was gifted the gift of generosity and no one saw it. Jesus actually could see the good in him, and he called him to something better. So how does this confront the battle of shame? How does this work with us 
in a daily basis, just seeing this one story. Do you see the different focuses in this particular story? The people focused on Zacchaeus' faults and sins, and Jesus focused on his redemption and his purpose. So where can you shift your focus? You can focus on your failures and struggles, or you can focus on your redemption and your purpose. The truth is, we're all Zacchaeus. We don't need anybody to tell us that we fall short. We don't need anybody to tell us that we don't measure up. We don't need anybody to tell us that we're not good enough. We don't need anybody to tell us that we're just full of condemnation and sin. That is something that we tell ourselves all the time, and the people around us affirm it. It's important for us to know that God is currently pursuing us, and he has already pursued us. He knows our name, just like he knew Zacchaeus' name. He knows our name. We are Zacchaeus, and he wants to come home with us. Shame causes us to think we're better or worse than those around us. The people thought they were better than Zacchaeus. That's shame talking. Zacchaeus thought he was worse than everyone else. That's shame talking. Shame's mission is to disintegrate all relationships, and isolation is a big part of this objective. Zacchaeus was isolated. Jesus called him by name and said, I need to go to your house today, your home. Our story is tar tied to being a part of a community. There is no Jesus and me option in following Jesus. There's only a Jesus and us. Some of you today need to experience freedom, and you need to rewrite the story that you've been telling yourself for decades. You're believing a lie that you are not who God sees you to be. You're believing a lie that it's about you, and then you're also believing a lie that it's not about you. God sees you, and he knows your story. You're believing that you are out of control. You're believing the lie that you'll never be able to accomplish freedom. You're believing the lie that peace is only for others. Yeah, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, but not mine. Yes, peace and joy is available for everyone except me. That's the lie that you're believing. And so you're believing the lie that only some super elite people will experience freedom. And yet story after story after story and narrative after narrative in Scripture so that Jesus went to the lost, the last, and the least, and he called them into a higher purpose. We can believe that we live in a place of total failure, or we can believe that Jesus' Jesus's way of embracing who God has made us to be. Can we get back to this original blessing that, yes, there is good in us? That, yes, we were created for a purpose to walk on this planet in 2021, and God has some things laid out in front of us? Can we rewrite the story that we tell ourselves? Is there a path that we can follow? And really, Jesus says it himself, and he says it best. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. That's in John 14. The most amazing thing is, Jesus didn't come to condemn. Jesus come, came to save. And what he wants to do is he wants to call out in you, and he wants to call out in me, the good that we were created for. I'd like to pray for you this morning. Jesus, we are in awe that like Zacchaeus, we want to see you, but then we're a little nervous to see you. We're going we're gonna to hide up in a tree, and then you see us anyway. Just like you created Adam and Eve for good, you've created us for good, and you've called us according to your purpose. 
There's no condemnation when you look at us. You actually look at us with love because you see the purpose and the joy that is set before us. Yet so many of us tell ourselves a story that's so negative and it's affirmed by the things we hear and it's affirmed by the people around us. And unfortunately, we've done a bad job at elevating one another in our gifting. As we saw in Galatians in the beginning, it's up to us to figure out what we're here for and then pursue that. It's up to us to be creative in the way that we exercise our gifting. Jesus, you've called us by name. We know that you're the way maker, and yet we end up saying, no, that's for the person next to me, that's not for me. God, I pray that today there would be freedom in those that have believed a lie, that, that today we'd begin the slow proce process of squashing our spiders and pursuing you, that this spider of shame can no longer have control over us, that we can embrace and we can hold on to the way maker, Jesus. That we can fall in love with you because you've called us to good. You've called us to freedom. And there is no condemnation for anyone that calls out to you. Jesus, help us pattern our lives after Jesus where we can lift each other up and affirm the incredible good that you've created in our soul. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and worship together. Jesus is the waymaker. Man, living hope and also Jesus the waymaker, yeah. uh, part of this process of discovering our shame, it is actually a curiosity and a discovery. Yeah. Um, and I think there's this vulnerability, like, for example, if I asked you, hey, what are you good at, Reuben? What would you say, and how weird would that feel? It, it would, uh, my tendency would be, it would feel weird to, like, try to highlight uh, because I know uh, the past, you know, mistakes. And if, if I'm living in that shame, you said something interesting in the, in the message. Um, you said the religious people thought they were better than everyone else. Mm -hmm. That was shame talking. Right. Zacchaeus thought he was worse than everyone else. That was shame talking. And right. so on both ends, and I found myself in both of those scenarios <laughs> yeah. at different times in my life. And the tendency is even, if, even with raising kids is like, I want to make, you said Jesus didn't come to condemn, he came to save. And our tendency is if we're on this, this side of the pendulum, so to speak, of the religious leaders of shame's talking to us and telling us, um, you know, what we're, what we're doing is we're trying to highlight the mistakes of somebody else so that we can feel better about the mistakes that we've made. Or, you know, even like with my kids, sometimes I find myself in a scenario and I have to take a step back because I want them to feel the weight of what they've done. Right. I want them to like feel bad. I want them to like see the hurt that it's caused and, and the, you know, the destruction that, that their, their behavior is causing, hoping that if I can make them feel bad enough about their <laughs> mistake, that they'll, it, that will drive them to change. And so that's kind of the religious leader side of things. And then I've also been on the side of like, not even calling people to any sort of good because I'm in such a state of like right. destruction uh, in my own life that, um, that I can't even see the good that, so to answer that question, depending on which state I'm in, it would be really difficult to answer that question because if I'm in a, in, in a state of, um, down on myself or not feeling like I measure up, 
then I, it would be hard to see the good that God has called me to. Right. If I'm in a side of like, I'm so good, then pride sometimes gets in the way of like, well, I'm good at this and this and this and this, but then right. why are, why, why are you good at those things? Why has God made you good at those things? Right. And I think so, the, you know, Galatians six talks about discovering who we are, sinking into it, being creative about it. Yeah. If, if we talk about what are we good at, it always, for some reason, that's our upbringing. We feel like that's prideful. I can't tell you what I'm good at. Yeah. You need to tell me what I'm good at and then I'll feel good about myself, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's this it's this weird tension like okay, if God has created me to be a carpenter, or God has created me to be um, someone that's really good with numbers, or God has created me to be a leader that can lead people places they don't want to go. And that, and if we can say, well, this is what I'm good at, that's actually honoring and that actually wipes away shame. It, it wipes away that stuff because we're actually living out our purpose, right? And it brings joy. Yeah. I don't. I've I've met very few people that are living out their purpose that don't have full. They're not just full of joy. They're excited yeah. to wake up every day and excited to tackle the day. But if you're living and having a career or in a situation where you're like, man, this is really terrible, it's it's really hard to get up. It's hard to get up in the morning, you know? Yeah. So discovering who we are. Like, yeah. I know you, and I've been around you enough, so I could tell you all the good things that I think you are, mm-hmm. but it's you recognizing it that combats the shame. And yeah. I think us raising our kids, if you have kids, I mean, this is like the, <laughs> this is the perfect place yeah. to figure out how this thing works, because I think you're right. Heaping on condemnation when they already know they've messed up, that's our tendency, you yeah. know, because we think we're going to add to their condemnation. We can't. And I think it comes, like living out your purpose comes from a deep-seated place of trust that God actually created you on purpose for a purpose. Like, right. and, and we're trying to figure that out. And then once we kind of figure out some things and figure out some things that maybe we're, we're good at or not good at or whatever, um, if we chase something other than who, who God's created us to be, then we find ourselves either wore out or um, filled with just discouragement because we'll never be who so-and-so will be, or we'll never be that. And so we try to chase something that, that we were never meant to chase. And then we find ourselves in this cycle of wearing out. So I need to trust. So the phrase uh, that comes to my mind is like, people say like, well, love, just love yourself. (laughs) Well, and it's not loving myself. It's loving who God created me to be and falling in love with that and living that out instead of trying to be somebody that everyone else says I should be. Well, there's this beautiful thing that happens in our world where there's a little less chaos. When I submit to the Father and figure out what he's wanted me to do, mm-hmm. the world becomes a little more peaceful, a little more joyful. And so if we all do that together, kind of locking arms together and discovering each other's purpose and then encouraging and affirming people along the path, it's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing shame killer and it's an amazing purposeful living that brings incredible yeah. joy. Yeah, and there's people that I work with on a weekly basis and on different teams, they're leading teams here, here at Bethel and it, I step back and it's amazing and it's really freeing because you look at the other people and the gifting that they have and some of the leadership abilities that they have and just organization and there's a lot of things that happen that you see people do and it's really freeing because you say, oh, well, I don't, I don't have to do that. Like, I don't, I don't have to be that. I don't, because they are, and God created them for that, and they're finding joy in it. So I can take rest in who God created me to be and fill, fulfill my purpose while everyone else is fulfilling theirs as well, and that's the locking arms that right. you're talking about, I think. Right. And so it's really that's it's awesome. really joyful, and it makes the the the, uh, the load light and joyful, yeah. and it's it's enjoyable to serve God when, when everyone's doing it together. Well, I think that's, that's so, all we got. That's it. So, and don't forget, here at Bethel, we exist to love and lead one another to find and follow Jesus. Have a great one. Love, love you guys. You guys.